Hi, you're back with retired CIA case officer Steve Hall, and you're listening to Not Necessarily Nefarious, a podcast which brings you a realistic and original spy story. Right now, we're reading Reverse Tell, written by another CIA case officer. It takes you deep into the lives of former NSA officer Albi, his CIA buddy Wes, and a Russian intelligence officer named Daniil. So sit back, relax, take a sip of your dry martini, shaken, not stirred, and enjoy a realistic story about espionage. You may hear strange and suspicious things in this podcast, but remember, it's not necessarily nefarious. Episode 2 It didn't take long for Wes at CIA to call Albie on his secure line. That's fucking awesome, dude, he said. Classic Wes, no subtlety. And so it began with direction from Wes that Albie started to use his dark arts to see if Daniel appeared online, perhaps when he was not at work. It had taken Albie all of about a week of looking to find him. Albie had first checked the usual locations, various first-person gaming sites, Kontaktie, sort of the Russian version of Facebook, and so forth. He wasn't surprised that Daniel didn't participate in any of the social media platforms. As experts in the field, both understood data mining much too well. Since Albi knew from Daniel's NSA file that he liked to play cards, Albi himself became distracted by a new online poker site, styled after Second Life, where each player actually had an avatar they could control. The players could do more than just play cards. They could interact with each other, both publicly and privately, buy each other virtual drinks, or even share stories. Albie was fooling around on the site using an avatar of his creation, a blonde he named Zoe, when he noticed another avatar named UDUDLRLR was playing low-stakes Texas Hold'em quite successfully. On a hunch, after he saw this nod to a common way to break out the contents of Easter eggs, up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right, or U-D-U-D-L-R-L-R, Albi traced the avatar and found that its internet connection resolved to Moscow. A little more technical digging by colleagues, and they determined that the Russian player lived in Daniil's apartment building. When he informed Wes that he'd almost certainly found Daniil online, Albi could feel Wes's smile over the secure line. Of course you did, he chuckled. Keep an eye on him, but don't let him know it's you. You never know when we might need another way to make contact. Now it was Wes's turn to dial up Freddy at the fort on the secure line. Hey, bro, our boy has found him online. Now we got to figure out next steps. You guys up there may want to pump the brakes on identifying that Russian mole. I know that's anathema, but we might be able to turn that into an advantage. Wes always had an air of treachery in his voice. Freddy sighed. The Bureau's already involved. Wes hesitated. Ah, screw them. Let them poke around. But we cannot read them into this. We move forward quickly without them. We can bag this operation before they even compile a list of suspected Russian moles. Albie logged on to the poker game in a separated room down the hall right after he hung up with Wes. Scanning the list of active players... On the left side of the screen, he spotted UDUDLRLR. There were no seats open at the virtual table, so Albie's avatar, Zoe, just watched. It was obvious that Daniil was pretty good at poker. He was a low-stakes player for his level of skill, which, of course, did not surprise Albie, 
as he knew Daniel's salary was a pittance and didn't expect that he would have much extra money with which to gamble. Suddenly, there was a green blinking virtual seat that opened at the table, and Albie grabbed it. Albie hovered over the button that would allow him to buy up-down a virtual drink, but then he remembered Wes's directions. Get on the poker app, create a character, and get into Daniel's orbit, but don't do a damn thing more. We're going to slow the pace. Let's wait a few months before you respond. We'll bait the hook nice and easy. That way, nobody gets hurt. The new American counterpart of Daniil Ivanovich Grubov is a woman named Deborah Westerhold, said Daniil's boss, as a picture of a smiling woman about 30 years old came up on the screen of the dank conference room at the Russian communications agency, FAPSI, in Moscow. Daniil dreaded these monthly meetings, and this one, on the 1st of October in 2016, was no different until this moment. The wooden conference table was ornate and heavy with carved Soviet-style wheat sheaths and scythes around the rim of its circumference. The table abutted a large desk, forming a T, so that the nachalnik, or boss, could stay at his desk while he lorded over his subordinates. Around the conference table, older white men in rumpled suits, smelling of must and cigarettes, sat in large wooden chairs, upholstered with dark green pleather. Daniel didn't sit at the table, but was relegated to a row of chairs along the wall. Well, why is that? asked a surprised Daniel. I've been working against Albie McGinnis for years. The men at the table swung their heads around almost in unison to look at Daniel. The boss squinted in Daniel's direction, astonished that someone along the wall had even spoken. He waited a few beats before responding, unused to answering to anyone, let alone someone not at the table. Well, Mr. McGinnis apparently has decided to retire to Las Vegas, Nevada. You know as I do, Americans have no real roots. Their country's too young, they have no traditions. Although Las Vegas certainly has its pleasures. Daniel's boss smiled as the men around the table smirked. Daniel was shocked and suspicious. Even before they began exchanging messages, Albie always added a simply encrypted message at the end of his otherwise indecipherable work. Things like, stay warm or have a nice day. Daniel never reported them, as while they were easy for him to find, nobody else in his office ever could. Little messages were never taunts or conveyed any secret meaning. This is why today's meeting was such a surprise. Nothing had indicated the departure of Albie. Daniel would have expected at least a goodbye. And more than that, things between them had escalated. Now they had exchanged videos, longer and, at least to Daniel, more meaningful. Maybe they didn't hold the same meaning for Albi. Daniel thought maybe he had been reading too much into the recent escalation. Hell, I'm thinking like a schoolgirl, Daniel thought. It wasn't like they were actually friends or anything. Or maybe this meeting today was a ruse or some kind of test and his bosses had figured out that he and Albie had formed a kind of weird cyber relationship since last New Year's. You just never knew in the Russian security services. Either way, Daniel was half worried and half shocked, and frankly, pretty depressed, to learn that Albie had retired. He glanced up again at the picture of Deborah. All smiles. <laughs> Typical American. Daniel Gurbov a middle-aged Russian cyber officer, got up from the meeting and returned directly to his desk. 
He would scrutinize all of Albie's recent work to ensure he had not missed any sign. A video, a song, anything that indicated he was leaving his job. Daniel stared at Albie's picture as he sat at his workstation. He wondered if the photo was old or if Albie still looked disheveled with his curly hair and stretched out t-shirt. The pic looked like it had been snapped a while ago. The guys over at the Federal Security Service, the FSB, wouldn't tell him much about Albi when Daniel had requested it a few years ago, after he started being able to recognize Albi's electronic signatures. Why would you think we might have a picture of your American counterpart? Asked his FSB contact. Uh, well, he is one of the best in America, and he likes to gamble, a weakness, so he has a big vulnerability, Daniel nervously added. His contact said he'd look into it and let him know. Six months later, without so much as a note of explanation, Daniel received an envelope. Perplexed and not expecting anything, Daniel unfastened the flap and shook the contents out onto his desk. A small photograph tumbled out and Daniel adjusted it so it was upright. At first, he wrinkled his brow in confusion. Then he remembered. He was looking for the first time at the face of Albie McGinnis. So the FSB at least recognized a valuable target, he thought, as he picked it up off his desk to study it more closely. Daniel thought Albie looked a bit messy, with an expression that seemed to convey that he hadn't been in the mood to have his picture taken. But Daniel saw something else, too. Albie looked like a nice guy, just like the kind of guy who would always wish you a good day after what was likely hours of deciphering complex line after line of code. As he tacked the picture on the wall next to his desk, Daniel wondered if the Americans thought of him in a similar way, or if they knew as much about his personal life. His bosses certainly seemed to think so, since he was not allowed to travel abroad, and they reminded him in quarterly counterintelligence briefings that he had to report any contact with a Westerner. Daniel had, of course, not considered his cyber relationship with Albie worth reporting. Why ask for trouble when he had no vulnerabilities that would raise the suspicions of the already wildly suspicious? It had started between Daniel and Albi, predictably enough. At the start of the new year, Daniel was beginning another day at the office, the only fun part, analyzing the masterful work of his American counterpart. American Patch for Analysis, CB10, the email subject line read. The CB part stood for cowboy, the digraph assigned to Albi by Daniel, which preceded the sequential number of his items of work captured and sent for analysis. He had told the FSB guys that it stood for old and sluggish, which in Russian was stadi vyali. Most of the FSB boys didn't know English very well, if at all, so they'd never deduced the real meaning. But on this morning, Daniel read it in his head as cowboy. Strange, he thought, that they were capturing so many American computer updates and patches recently. Daniel slowly tapped on the down arrow as he scrolled through the many lines of code as one screen of seemingly similar code rolled from one screen to the next, Daniel suddenly stopped and slowly scrolled back up as something had caught his eye. He stopped and paused at one long segment of code as it was framed on his screen. He studied it for a few minutes, rolling it over in his head. Convinced that something was amiss, he uploaded just that section to another computer and swung his chair around the half-circle desk which he sometimes envisioned as a spaceship control center. After all, it kind of looked that way, with all the computers arrayed before him. 
After a few minutes of manipulation, Daniel could tell it was some sort of embedded file. Maybe music or a video, he thought. But that'd be strange. Daniel could tell that while it would be challenging to decipher, he thought he could break out this anomalous segment. He moved the entire endeavor to a thumb drive, picked up a laptop with a red sticker from a stack by his desk, and carried both to the open courtyard of the building. He cleared away some snow from a bench and plopped down in the freezing cold of Moscow, next to a pile of cigarette butts. It was the holidays, and not many co-workers were at the office. His fingers were stiff already from the cold, and they shivered as he plugged the thumb drive into the laptop, relocated the suspicious file, and then opened it. Daniel was immediately startled when up popped a video of an individual who was unmistakably Alby, sitting between two Elvis impersonators on a bench along what looked like the main street of Las Vegas. Among flashing lights and the mob of a passing crowd, all three looked up at the camera and yelled, Snovum Godum Pavrug, at the top of their lungs. Their bad Russian accents made it funnier, and Daniel almost laughed out loud at the holiday greeting. The impersonator on the right of Alby added in his best Elvis voice, You ain't nothing but a hound dog. Alby leaned forward, big smile, and pointed at the camera. Bursts of steaming breath choked out of Daniel as he laughed. Happy New Year to you, too, he responded. He didn't think anyone would be watching, as so few were around, and it was not an uncommon sight to see Daniel in a thumb drive in the courtyard. To ensure he did not arouse suspicion, he pulled a cigarette from his breast pocket and lit it. He was not a smoker, but he learned how for these types of situations. He gathered his composure but his insides were filled with amusement and treachery. This video obviously was only for his eyes. What a cowboy, thought Daniel. What a goddamn cowboy. Daniel leaned back on the bench, and his eyes were drawn upwards to the windows of the second floor hallway. A figure had been stopped at one, but turned and walked away as Daniel looked up. Was that Fat Igor, the counterintelligence guy? If so, Daniel figured he'd better prepare a story in his head about why he was laughing. With a relaxed, straight face, Daniel gathered his equipment and returned to his desk. For months after that, Daniel puzzled over if or how to respond. Would responding be career-ending, or worse, life-ending? Daniel didn't do anything at first, but it was almost always at the forefront of his mind. Had his bosses detected the embedded file? A personal message from his purported enemy? Was it a test to see how he'd react? Daniel understood that he would be engaging in a dangerous dance if he responded. All the same, he thought, a connection with American intelligence probably would be the only chance for him and his wife to one day escape life in Russia. As he lay in his bed at night, Daniel pondered what to send in response. It had to be something that communicated many things, as hidden messages would have to be kept to a minimum. And Daniel had to be sure he was ready to make the leap from just dreaming about a life in the West to actually pursuing it. The red digital clock on the office wall across the room read 9.47 a.m. in Moscow, 2.47 a.m. in Washington, D.C. He looked between it and the calendar on the wall next to his desk. Nothing was circled or marked, but Daniel was focused intently on today's date, June 24th, 2016. He knew it was Alby's 50th birthday, and he had only a few hours to embed a message into a patch he was coding.
a short video of a birthday cake that exploded into fire because it had so many candles. In one embedded video, Daniel would let Albie know that he knew his birthday, that he knew his birth year, and that he was game. Game for something. For what, Daniel was not quite sure yet. Most importantly, it would show Albie that Daniel had discovered the funny video Albie had embedded for just Daniel's eyes. Daniel quickly typed out a few lines of code, then moved a file from a thumb drive attached to a laptop that sat to his right. His finger hovered for a moment over the send key. Daniel felt like he was standing before a chasm and slowly, slowly falling into it. Then, with a calm face that did not betray his thumping heart, he hit the key and off it went. Daniel wanted to put his face in his hands or take a walk, but instead, he just kept right on typing. So to any observer, he had not missed a beat. For the remainder of summer, with no response from Albie, Daniel vacillated between paranoia and excitement. He didn't too excitedly check his inbox each morning. He kept a predictable life and work routine. He didn't breathe a word about any of it to his wife. It would put her in danger too. Life outside Russia had never been in reach, and there had never been a path to bringing him closer to that possibility. It was like a dream of winning the lottery. Nice to think about it, but you were sure it had never happened. Now, this tenuous digital connection, however vague, gave him hope. Daniel had always felt like a plant whose roots were outgrowing its pot. Without replanting, he'd never grow and just wither and die. He had harbored these thoughts for years. Now, suddenly his fantasy of connecting with an American intelligence officer had been plopped in his lap. Though the path was not yet set, at least it existed for the first time. In Russia, summer surrendered to winter without so much as a skirmish. Fall was a few brief glorious days. Daniil was taking in this rare, beautiful weather in Moscow so completely that for once, he wasn't even thinking that it had been months without a response from Albi. But his focus shifted as soon as he powered on his computer at the office. CB11 was the title of the email at the top of his inbox. Daniel glanced around the office to see if anybody was observing what must have been a look of excitement and anticipation on his face. The four guys nearest him were all gathered around one computer looking at porn and laughing. Daniel opened the email at a measured pace, like he did with all attachments, moved it to a thumb drive and to a computer not connected to the internet. He slowly scrolled down through the lines of code, when all at once, he spotted it. Daniel's eyes moved over the lines of what he deemed superfluous code. Daniel calmly unplugged the thumb drive, grabbed a laptop with a red sticker, and moved to the building courtyard. He gave a quick scan of the open seating and then chose a bench without a window behind it or a camera fixed in his direction. His father's words echoed in his head. Always act like they're watching, because they are. Always. Daniel pulled out a cigarette and lit it, trying not to cough as he took a slow drag. He looked up at the sunny sky and hung the cigarette in the corner of his lips as he plugged the thumb drive into the laptop. This time, he ensured the volume was off as he began to scroll through the file. About halfway down, he spotted what he hoped was some kind of message back from Albi. Nobody on the Russian side could have so elegantly concealed it or deciphered it. Daniel cut and pasted the section of code into a program that could open it if it was a video. A few keystrokes later, up popped a video of a dog dancing a conga line at a wedding. Daniel responded, probably too eagerly, 
by embedding a video of a bear doing the same thing in his very next security patch. Not long after arrived another security patch that was obviously Albie's handiwork. This time, Daniel didn't open the file, hesitating as he weighed his suspicion that another patch from Albie could be captured so quickly on the heels of the last one. Either this was a trap set by his own higher-ups, or maybe it was genuinely Albie stepping up the pace of communication. Albie must understand that the Russians could never crack his algorithms or any of his enciphered code, figured Daniel, or even detect the coding inconsistencies that signaled to him a message from Albie. Still, he studied the file, then closed it and set it aside. His eagerness had already caused him to be sloppy. That's it for this week's episode. Join me next week as we go deeper into the stories of Albie, Wes, Judy, and others. Who gets credit for the podcast? Well, Stephanie Hartel for writing the book that this podcast is based on. Also, Sam McLean, our masterful sound guy. And I'm Steve Hall. Just remember, it might seem strange, but it's not necessarily nefarious. See you next time.